Uh, how's everybody doing? Good. Amazing? Yeah, good. Well, thank you for asking. So am I. <laughs> Appreciate that. Every once in a while, it's kind of crazy. Um, when Pastor Brett's here and you do the greeting thing, I take it kind of upon myself. I always like to come up here and greet him because it's like the dude never, like nobody wants to come up and talk to him except for when there's something wrong. And then you're like, you know, uh, true story. I'll just start off with this true story that um, I did have several times. And as pastor, you never know what someone's going to say to you. And you always have to be careful, right? But uh, so church here starts at 930, in case some of you didn't know that. Um, Notice your clock's a little off. Anyways, um, literally somebody would come up to me just like like at 928 and a half. And I'd be, let's just hypothetically say I'm out here and, the, and this person would come and say, Pastor, did you know that the, there's no toilet paper in the ladies' bathroom? <laughs> you think I'm kidding, don't you? And my response would be something like, and exactly how would I know that there's no toilet paper in the ladies' bathroom? And remind me once again why I care. Okay, so here we go. Uh, because I'm going to follow up on boldness, and I just want to give some props to you guys from last week to this week. Um, I've just heard some great stories, and I don't want to say there's stories. I, I, think it, I think a story is hypothetical, but report is really true. Um, that, that you've like, hey, I was challenged by that, and I actually went out and I actually did something with that. I've heard of people going, um, prayed with a couple people. It freaked them out. Like, what, what happens? And, and I'm reminded, in fact, this morning I was reminded by, by um, the Lord of this, that Jesus said to us that he came to serve and not be served. And I'm reminded of that. It's like, that's so amazing because, you know, like as my challenge to many of you and myself as well was this, like when we go to a restaurant, hey, why don't we ask the server how we can pray for them? And here they are in this context where they're used to serving you or me. And all of a sudden we switch the tables on them and say, no, how can I serve you? Isn't that amazing? Okay, I think it is, but that's up to you guys. So here's the question. What have you done since last Sunday? We've gone seven days, you know, 168 hours, whatever it is. And we're getting to that place of going, okay, so, you know, the Lord challenged you. Did you act on that? Did you do anything with that? What have you done with that sense of boldness? Did anything change? Was there... A shaken room experience. You know by that was the story that we're at in the book of Acts was kind of like this as the disciples came and uh, came back and reported all that they'd done and they immediately went into prayer and they'd asked God for more, more boldness. And as God did, the Holy Spirit entered into that room and that room was literally shaken and gave the disciples and those followers more boldness to share the word of God with boldness to whoever would listen. And I'm thinking, you know what, if there's anything that our culture needs today, it is what? More what? Say it out loud. Be be strong with it. Like, dude, I'm going to be bold. Yeah. So here was, uh, Gary, tell me if I have this up here. Do we have the, uh, the equation? Information 
plus application equals what? So that was the challenge, and the whole idea was, well, what is exactly transformation? So I'm going to begin with what I ended with, and then we're going to go forward from there. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Many of you are aware of that. And if you're not, that's okay. By the time we get done here in about 30 seconds, you'll be aware of that. Verse 1, chapter 12, Romans. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all that he has done for you. Let them, your bodies, be living and holy sacrifice, the kind that he will find acceptable. This is truly the way that you're to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Transformation should be evident. Amen? Now remember last week it was okay to say amen in church? Still is today. So let me try that again. Transformation should be evident, right? Amen. Yeah. Yeah, listen. Be bold here because it's a lot harder when you leave. I'm just saying. You know, nobody should look at you funny and go, dude, did, 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 you, did you know that he just said amen? Yeah. It's even kind of harder when you're in, the, in a restaurant and you bow your heads. <laughs> and then what do we say when we're all done? Do we say amen? Do we say it out loud? Do we, do we say it so people can hear us? What do we do? It's okay to say amen in church, right? Yes. Okay, we're going to have to learn some new things here. Here we go. Transformation is a new way of thinking. It's a new way of acting. It's a new way of living. It's a new way of spending. It's a new way of sharing. That's what transformation actually is. I'm going to take you to the Bible now if you go to Acts chapter 4. We're going to begin or we're continue on there with verse 32. Last week we ended with verse 31 and this week we're going to go for a little while in the book of Acts chapter 4 verse 32. And here's what the Bible says. All the believers were united in heart and mind and they felt that what they owned was not their own. So they shared everything that they had. The apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's great blessing was upon them all. There were no needy people among them because those who owned land or houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles to give to those in need. Does this sound familiar to you? Does it sound a little bit like Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47? Does it sound a lot like, oh, he's just retelling what we told or what we learned about in Acts chapter 2? Let me remind you, no, this is not a retelling of Acts chapter 2. What this is, is a continuation of what it looks like for the apostles to live as transformed people. And it's another reminder Acts chapter 2 tells us what the community of believers was going to look like, and they began to do this. Acts chapter 4 is a telling to us of what, of what the community of believers lived like. Let me say this. The community of believers, this, is vital to transformation. 
Come on. You remember my friend Sherwood Carthen? Never mind, I'll amen all by myself if that's what you want. The community of believers, this body of believers that has a shared vision, a shared transformation with one another is vital. You are part of an army of believers together who link arms for the common good and the common goal of being bold in the kingdom of heaven so that someone might see you and begin to wonder what exactly is it. It is in this group this group of community of believers that people share needs as they have them. How many of you have had the opportunity in this last week to share with someone, hey, dude, pray with me, pray for me. I'm, I'm sad, I'm happy, I'm joyful, I'm scared, I'm anxious. I'm, uh, I mean, just you, you get to do that. You don't really get to do that outside of the community of believers, do you? You know that shared vision in that support is offered as you begin to share your need with someone. Support is offered to you. Let me continue to pray with you. Prayer is central. Amen. Spiritual growth and maturity is vital in the community of believers. Accountability, mutual. Hello. Yeah. And what happens? Encouragement becomes the result. Now all of a sudden you've gathered together and you're a part of this great believer, group of believers. You're like going, I'm sharing my needs. People are praying with me. They're supporting with me. They're caring about me. We're, we're praying together. We're sharing together. And all of a sudden someone's coming up and saying, hey, I see something in your life and there's some accountability. And together we become encouraged as a group of the faith community. Let me say this, inside this faith community, this group of believers, radical things should happen. Thank you. You, It's okay. For instance, look at this, verse 37, 36 and 37. For instance, love this. Let me tell you a story. There's a guy by the name of Joseph. One of the apostles nicknamed him Barnabas, um, you know, Barney, for those of you that he's not the purple guy, but he meant son of encouragement. He was from the tribe of Levi and came from the island of Cyprus. He sold a field he owned and brought the money to the apostles. And if you remember how that began to go, and it's like, you know, what they did in this group of believers, that they would sell something that, as they had need, and as they sold it, they would bring it to the apostles. And you begin to kind of think, like, well, this is kind of a benign part of the story. I mean, you know, who does that, first of all? Joseph, he's these, you know, the son of encouragement. What do we do with this? And remember that as this community of believers, they have something in common and all things become in common. This story with Barnabas is the good side of the story. If you're a fan of infomercials, but wait, but wait. Ah, see, you are. Here's the question. Is sin, sin, and what does God think about sin? 
Is sin still sin, and what does God think about sin? In our current culture, we're living in a time now that I call, that is really called the post-Christian era. It is the post-Christian era. I'm actually going to read what this definition is. And it is this, post-Christianity is the situation in which Christianity is no longer the dominant civil religion of a society, but has gradually assumed values, culture, and worldviews that are not necessarily Christian. Post-Christianity tends to refer to the loss of Christians' monopoly and historically Christian societies to atheism or secularism. As I say that and as I read that, does, does, does any of that like bother you? Does any of that make you go, oh, yeah, that's, that's where we're living, that's what's happening? Or do you kind of go, oh, no, not in my little bubble, now that's really what's happening is we are literally living in a post-Christian era where what our founding forefathers, and I think there was more than four, but anyways, um, but our founding forefathers began to say we're going to establish this on the basis that God is and biblical values and we will be a Christian nation. It's a good place to go, amen. There you go. We will found this on a, as a Christian nation. Now, here we are, dealing with our current reality in our current culture. Our current culture says this, that boys can become boys and girls can become girls. That there are something like 72 genders. There's all this stuff that begins to happen that, that stealing is okay and policing is bad. And as we begin to go down this, we, we begin to realize that this idea that sin is compromised and we begin to wonder, is sin sin and what does God think about this? So while we're in what I call the lazy part of the river, you know what that is, it's just this really easy meandering part of the river where things are going quite well and Joseph sells a field and brings it and gives to his the, the apostles for them to distribute as necessary. And then we get to the, but wait, there's more part. And so then we go to Acts chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. But, which means, forget what we just told you, but there was a certain man named Ananias who, with his wife Sapphira, sold some property. He brought part of the money to the apostles, claiming it was the full amount, with his wife's consent, he kept the rest. At first glance, you might look at that and you can't think, well, you know, what's the problem? I mean, Ananias, he begins to sell something and he's like, hey, I'm going to bring a, a lump of sum of money and I'm going to give it to the church. And, and let, me, let me just tell you this, as pastor for a long time, I've, I've like, I have never gotten bold enough to question somebody when they wanted to drop a dime into the plate. I'm like, oh, is that all? Are you sure? Did you bring it all? Does your wife know? I'm like, man, that's so awesome. But he gave, he claimed, this is the issue, he claimed that he gave it all. This is where things get a little dicey because this becomes sin now. All of a sudden he says, God, I'm giving it all to you. Are you? 
when you tell God that I'm giving you everything, when you tell God I'm doing it all for you, God, when you tell God and you begin to say these magnificent statements, but you withhold for yourself, sin begins to enter in. Verses 3 and 4. Peter said, Ananias, why have you let Satan fill your heart? You lied to the Holy Spirit and you kept some of the money for yourself. The property was yours to sell or not sell. And after selling it, the money was also yours to give away. How could you do a thing like this? You weren't lying to us, but to God. Ouch. I mean, that's, that's a serious accusation. And so it begins to raise an interesting question. How much do we have that is actually ours? Now, before you answer that in your head, be really, really careful. This is a bit of a trick question. You don't know me that well yet, but I do like to ask questions that are a bit rhetorical, and some of them are kind of tricky too. How much do you actually have that actually is yours? I made it. I built it. I earned it. I paid for it. It is mine. The psalmist makes it really clear for us. The earth is the Lord's and a few things in it. Somebody's going to call me out right now. Somebody call me out. No, pastor, that's not right. The earth is the Lord's and whatever you keep in your garage is yours. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. So God gave you the ability to breathe. God gave you the ability to work. God gave you the ability, the passion to do some things. God gave you the ability to, to reach out. And God gives you the ability to do all these kinds of things and to acquire stuff. And, dude, that's a whole new sermon, right? Amen for that. Um, we can acquire stuff and be able to say, God, you know, you got a lot of stuff in your garage, and begin to think through those kinds of things. What are we called to do? Be stewards of what the Lord provides for us. To be good stewards of that. To take good care of that. Um, Ananias wasn't truthful with Peter. He said, yeah, Peter, I, I, I've given it all. Here it is. And in my back pocket, I've got a little bit left over because, you know, my wife and I, we might want to take a little vacay sometime. And so we're going to hang on. But boy, are we really giving you everything we have? And Peter says, no, you, you've not lied to us, although we do know that. You've not lied to us. You have lied to the Holy Spirit. Verses 5 and 6. As soon as Ananias heard these words, he fell to the floor and died. <laughs> Everyone who heard about this was terrified. Some young men got up, wrapped him in a sheet, and took him out and buried him. Wait a minute. Let me, let me, let me frame this and shape this for you a little bit. First of all, Peter did not kill Ananias. Okay? 
So Peter didn't, he, was, he learned his lesson trying to whack off the guard's ear in the garden, so now he's done with the sword. He didn't kill Ananias. Yet on the other side, God didn't kill Ananias either. It simply says, the Bible says that he fell down and died. And I, I mean, I've dug into this and I'm like, well, how in the world does somebody just do this and just fall down and die? Everybody that I've read says this, that it's a spiritual judgment. There was such an awe and reverence for obeying God, for being obedient as a person. There's such an awe and reverence. And at the, the knowledge, the simple knowledge of knowing, I've not lied to God, but I, I've not lied to men, but I've lied to God, he literally fell down and died, and likely from shock. And sometimes, here we are in our current culture in which we have become so calloused to using the name of the Lord, so callous to be able to say, well, I've given it all to you, God, and I'm keeping it all, and yet there's little attention paid to the judgment that can happen. And I, as pastor, I've Probably like many of you, you look around at the things that are going on in our culture and you're like, oh God, where are you? God, do you, do you even see what's going on in our schools? God, do you even see what's happening in our community? Do you even see what's happening in our culture? And let me just say this to you. Yes, he does. God's viewpoint has not gone silent. God's heart has not gone silent. In fact, all of the, everything that is happening right now is a continuation of what the scripture says is going to happen. And there are going to be difficult times and days and people are going to become disobedient to their parents. They're going to lie. They're going to steal. They're going to gossip. They're going to cheat. They're going to do all of these kinds of things. And don't think for a moment that God's not looking. Everything that has been done in secret will be made known. So, Ananias and Sapphira get another chance. Peter and the boys have taken Ananias and they've planted him someplace. And Sapphira comes walking in. Check this out, verses 7 and 8. About three hours later, his wife, Sapphira, came in. Not knowing what had happened, Peter asked her, here you go. Chance number two. Hey, Sapphira, was this the price you and your husband received for your land? Why, yes, it was, Peter. And Peter said, verse 9, how could the two of you even think of conspiring to test the Spirit of the Lord like this? The young men who buried your husband are just outside the door. <laughs> and they're going to carry you out too. <sighs> Come on. I mean, just, just kind of play this thing through for your minute. I mean, the, all of a sudden she's like, hey, where's, my, where's Peter? Where's he? Where'd, he? where'd he go? Oh, I, I saw he was with a couple of guys. They were on their way out to the garden. And she comes in and all of a sudden, and Peter says, listen, was this the price? And she goes, well, it sure was, Peter. And, and Peter goes, listen, Sapphira, the people that took your husband to the garden, they're going to carry you out too. Do you believe that? That's a, that's a hard thing. Now, here's what happens, verse 11. Great fear gripped the entire church 
and everyone else who heard what had happened. Now, I, I couldn't think, I was trying to think of a great way to explain this to you, so I thought I would, I would just kind of pounce on Kevin for a minute. Amen, right? Imagine it this way. Kevin sold his truck. Mm, pretty, beautiful truck. And he tells South Point, hey, I'm going to sell my truck and I'm going to bring it to the church and I'm going to lay it at the feet of Pastor Brett and it's going to be awesome. And yet Kevin kind of held a little bit back. Maybe he tells his wife, but you know, he's like, yeah, wait, but it's going to be a great gift and the church is going to be incredibly blessed by doing so. And he gives this sum of money to Pastor Brett. Pastor Brett says, Kevin, is that everything? Um, sure, sure was. Done. Falls down. The rest of the guys pick him up, carry him out, plant him. Um, do you go on with your life as it normally is? Or do you like take a quick inventory of everything you've ever said to the Lord? Everything you ever said to Pastor Brett. Pastor Brett, I promise I'll come and start doing donuts this next week. Pastor Brett, I promise I will come and vacuum. I promise I'll come set up chairs. In fact, I'll even donate money. I mean, you begin to do this inventory of everything that you've ever said because you want to make sure that you don't be like Kevin. Now, I'm picking on Kevin because I, I, I know that he's, he's a faithful servant. Can I pick on you? It's a little late now. Amen. Now he amens. There you go. And you begin to think, and that fear that begins to grip the church is because of this radical spiritual judgment that just took place instantaneously. And that fear is not this, this fear of, oh my gosh, God is going to strike me dead. It is the fear and the reverence of a holy God who calls us to holy living by transforming our lives through him. That's how we begin to live this. And so this great fear is not about being afraid of God. It is about his reverence and his holiness. And these deaths, both Peter and Sapphira, not Kevin, that was, that was trust me, I'm not being prophetical. So here we go. Um, these deaths serve as a reminder to us that God is going to judge both the righteous and the unrighteous. So as we begin to look at that, here we go. For us, I believe it should serve as a reminder to every single one of us, myself included, that we don't become so calloused by culture and diminish the act and the effect of sin in our world. Let me say that again. This should serve as a reminder that we don't become so calloused to the culture and that we begin to become diminishing in the act of sin and its effect on our world. I mean, there's too many opportunities for us to go, oh, well, that's what they do. 
That's, what, that's, that's the way they do it. And remember the whole idea of the community of believers, which is encouragement, but it's also mutual accountability. When you come into this community of believers, you begin to be able to say one to another, listen, um, you, you got to be careful how you act. you got to be careful how you say it. And we're going to disciple you. We're going to teach you. We're going to train you on how to act and, and to react in a correct way. Likely, here's what I believe happens. Likely, when you become a Christ follower, you are leaving a group of community and becoming a part of a new group of community. Would you agree with that? Like, like in some way, there's this old group of people. We used to hang out with a bunch of radical people, bad people. We did bad things, but I became a Christian. I became a Christ follower, and I crossed over from darkness into light, and now I have a new group of community and a new group of believers. Would you agree that that is an important radical place for us to be. Yeah. And so as we do that, as we cross over into that, remember this. Application plus information is transformation. Watch me carefully now because I'm going to use a word that you're used to. Misinformation and misapplication equals spiritual judgment. So as you read the Bible and you go, well, I think, and you're not entirely informed, that's misinformation, which leads to misapplication, which then leads to spiritual judgment. Be very, very careful on where you gather your spiritual information. And, you know, God bless AI and Google, because trust me, God needs to bless AI and Google. But if that's where you're getting your spiritual information, you might need to check your sources. Well, I Googled it, and I think the Bible's wrong. Come on. Who are you, right? I googled it and the Bible doesn't say that. Really? Be careful where you get your information so that you can apply it correctly so that then you are not in line because God's really going to judge everyone. So here's the question. Where are you in the process of your transformation? And I say that like, like, okay, well, I came to Christ you know, when I was three. Okay, perfect. How are you doing in the last... 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years. How are you? I just came to Christ you know, a year ago or last week. How are you doing in your transformation? Folks, if you're a part of a life group and you begin to say, well, there's somebody that, that we need to get in there so that we can get them discipled, so that we can get, get them, you know, I was going to say learned. Okay, there you go. Where are you in the process? I'm going to give you story and be careful with this and then I'll end with a real positive note so it's not meant to bum you out sorry but it is also meant to cause some concern Isaiah chapter 5 verses 20 through 23 if this is not a indictment on our current culture I'm not exactly sure what is this being an indictment on our current culture, the prophet Isaiah said this, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, 
who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Can we just stop there for a minute? I mean, can we literally just get real with what's going on in our current culture and begin to think the, the and I'm going to say this correctly, the misinformation that is being said to, to our culture is this is, good is bad and bad is good. And, and sometimes we're like hearing this like for the first time, really? No, Isaiah said, woe to those who are calling good evil and evil good. Are you kidding me? I mean, literally, if, if you recall this, go back to now almost, well, about three years ago, about, a little bit more than three years ago, when our current governor, and sorry, I'm not going to get super political here, but our current governor during the pandemic shutdown literally said that churches were to be closed, but strip clubs were essential. Huh? Woe to those who call good evil and evil good. Churches, you got to be closed. Strip clubs can be open. And then we as the Christian community look back and we're like going, oh God, did you see that? And I just want to remind you, yeah, he did. He did. God bless you if you live in Las Vegas. I'm sure your governor didn't do anything wrong, right? Verse 21, woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and clever in their own sight. Verse 22, woe to those who are heroes at drinking wine and champion at mixing drinks. Verse 23, who acquit the guilty for a bribe but deny justice to the innocent. Ay, yay, 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 yay. That's a spiritual word. There's a lot of woes in there, isn't there? You know, and, and woe literally means this. Um, I don't know, there's, there might be a couple of you that know what it's like to ride a horse, but one of the things that you, you know, you don't know how to get them to go, but you don't get them out of stop, woe. <laughs> it's like, whoa, and you pull back on the reins and somehow that, sort, that horse stops. And in that same way, God's saying through the prophet Isaiah, woe to those, stop to those that are doing this. So that we can get to this. Now I'm going to get to verse, the second part of verse 24 and then to the first part of verse 25. Why is all of this? Verse 24, for they have rejected the law of the Lord God Almighty. They have spurned the word of the Holy One of Israel. Why are we praying for Israel? God's chosen And we continue to do so. Verse 25, therefore the Lord's anger burns against these people. His hand is raised and he strikes them down. If there's anything that Ananias and Sapphira should have remembered, it would have been their Old Testament studies. When they walked in and they go, here you go, Peter, it's, it's all there, it's all good. Oh, what's that jingling in your pocket? Oh, those are the keys to the chariot. They're okay. Don't worry about that. No. He's literally says, Ananias and Sapphira should have remembered their studies. Because that's exactly what the Lord says. And he says, his anger burns against him. And his hand is raised and he strikes them down. Well, pastor, you said that they tied maybe from shock. The Lord 
dealt with it. And in the same way for us, we are subject to the same type of judgment. So I have this question for you, because I think this, I think this is it's burning on my mind. Maybe it's burning on yours. How do we avoid judgment? I mean, wouldn't that be great, right? I mean, how do I avoid all of this, this woe language? How do I avoid all of that? I mean, I don't want to live in fear, and I don't want to live in a community where there's just this, oh, this, this scared tactics, and I don't want to live where, where there's going to be, you know, someone's just going to beating you down like, you better turn or you're going to burn. I mean, it's just all this stuff. I don't want to live like that. Does anybody? No. So how do we do that? And that's where I, I will end where I started. And it comes with the word transformation. And as you become transformed into the person that God wants you to be, every single one of us, as you are transformed into the person that you will be, God gives you the strength and the power to do so. Scary, scary to think that you could actually encourage someone like the story that I told you last week. Antonio, a server, and we simply asked him, Antonio, how can we pray for you? And he said, right now, you can pray for me. Now, did that take a lot of boldness? Not really. I mean, we still ate our meal. We had a great time. We've learned his name. He's learned our names. We've just, we've done that. What is it? What, what area? What, what area is God calling you to be bold in? What area? They're all going to be different. You're a student. You're at school. Trust me, we as adults have got to pray for our students who are in school, especially public school, now more, the, more so than ever. The pressure, the stuff that's going on, and the influences that are happening are just ridiculous. We should, so we pray for boldness for, for you students, for protection. We pray for all of that. You're in the workplace, and as you're in the workplace, you're like going, man, I, I live in a post-Christian environment in my workplace. How in the world do I do this? And remember this, the reason that there was some sense of like, man, this living in this post-Christian thing, it was a scary time to be an apostle with Peter and John and the rest of them. If you recall back just a few weeks, or maybe, I mean, we're not talking a long time before this, Jesus was the man, and the man got crucified. And for all the followers of Jesus, they themselves also were in danger of death. So to be able to stand up and say, you know what, uh, in front of the entire assembly, when Peter says, you know what, you crucified him, we're still preaching about it, and then they go back and they pray, oh God, give us more boldness so that we continue to be bold in the presence of our enemy. Wow. Wow. And all I'm asking for you is to consider what the Holy Spirit is saying to you right now. Where is the area? That you need to be bold. And it's, it, I get it, it's scary. It's all right. Um, is God calling you to be safe or is he calling you to be bold?
And a lot of times we go, I, I choose safety. <laughs> I, choose, I choose to live in a bubble. I'm okay with that. God goes, no, nah, but it's pretty, it's pretty ridiculously fun to live when you're calling on God to be bold. So here's how you avoid the woes. Romans chapter 12, verses 1, 2, and 3. And so, dear brothers and sisters of South Point Church, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all that he's done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind that he, God, will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Now that is how you avoid the woe. So as you're in community this week, and as you're in your community of believers, and as you are soaking yourself kind of in the word, begin to go, okay, God, Pastor Tim, I usually go by PT or Pastor Tim, whatever you want to call me. Um, He reminded us that we can be bold. We can pray for boldness. That's what the Bible says. So I'm going to pray with you and pray for you. And I think Dave's going to come. Maybe. Well, Lord, we are grateful for the way that you have brought us into a place of knowledge, information, brought us in bringing us to a place of application, a place that we can actually live that out. And a place of then transformation where it becomes super evident. Not to us, not as we look in the mirror, but as we have others that look in the mirror of our own hearts and our own lives. Lord, may that transformation become so evident to the world around us. Lord, we do pray for boldness as we're going to be out and about and moving and having our being, Lord, that you would be with us. Pray for Pastor Brett. Give him travel, safety, and direction and this upcoming retreat this next weekend. But Lord, in the coming and going, that you would have your way, have your will. And we pray this in the bold and matchless name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.